0: Blimey. Ooh, this is one out of a jam jar you've
1: got here. It's a morning. The House of Mystery contains demons, angels, elementals, magicians, wizards, avaritions, adult language, and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not enter the House of Mystery.
0: All right
1: then. On with the show.
0: Hello, welcome everyone to the House of Mystery, the John Constantine and Friends podcast. I am Michael, your host and curator, sometimes lover, if you so choose. I'm not picky. And then in the studio, or in the House of Mystery, I should say, with me is the demon bisexual butler, David. Hello, everyone knows that I'm not picky. That's, that's
1: true. <laughs> I don't even care if you have like a form. You could be a, ge- a gelatinous mess, I don't
0: care. Did you say a forearm or a form? Form. Oh, I form. think forearm. <laughs> well, I mean, if they don't have a forearm, golly knows. You're into amputees, is that your fetish?
1: Uh you know, hey, everyone needs love.
0: That's true. I like how you cover your fetish, your perverse fetishes with like humanitarian, humanitarian yes. ideas. Like, no, it's not yes. it has nothing to do with him being an accepting individual. <laughs> Just, nor a humanitarian. It's a simple fact that he is a pervert. That's the truth of the matter, people. Don't let him fool you. All right, welcome, everyone. If you're new to the show, we are a John Constantine eccentric podcast. We talk mostly about John, but we do get into friends and I use that that word loosely some air quotes here uh, we get into the areas of the darker side of DC whether it be Swamp Thing Dead Man The Phantom Stranger I my mind went blank for a second <laughs> <My> <laughs> The Phantom stranger, <laughs> stranger the list goes on and on Justice League Dark in general uh, if they reside within the darker side of DC when it comes to the, ro- the world of magic we're probably going to get into it at some point but for the most part, I'd say a good 80 to 85% of our show is centered around John Constantine. And that's why today, Dave, we're going to be getting into Jamie Delano's Hellblazer run. This will be our second discussion. God, I'm so excited, dude.
1: That, by far, the Hellblazer, the very first couple issues of Hellblazer is what influenced me as a comic book reader.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. I mean, and if people missed our first discussion on Hellblazer issue one, just scroll through your feed about, I don't know, maybe two or three months and you should see the first discussion pop right up. Listen to that one first. We go over all the finer details, the context behind the writing of the first issue Uh, The time frame, whether or not it holds up to this day, still, you know, 20 plus years later, 30 plus years later. And now we're going to continue our discussion into issue two and how we're doing this. We're doing this discussion. We're taking our time with the discussion. We're not trying to rush through it. We will get to every issue eventually, maybe in 13 years, we'll probably (laughs) finally cover all 300 issues. Uh, But we're also doing this per volume. So we're not going based on the original release structure so far, because it just happens to be that way. We are going in order, but we're going based on the volume that was released several years back titled original sense. Yes. Which I believe makes up hellblazer issues one through nine and constantine's first introduction into dc canon swamp thing number 76 and 77 so when i say we're not going to go in the exact order they came out that's what i mean we're going to go based on how they were released in the volumes yes all right so we are taking our time so we may never get to issue 300 but you know <laughs> at least by doing this it gives us john constantine things to talk about because as we know we're a little john constantine light over the last 2 years at least for now it's very strange because even when hellblazer came to an end back what 2013 i want to say the vertigo title officially ended you had the new 52 era that started in 2011 and for the most part, all throughout the, the 2010s, you had some revolving Constantine story being published with maybe a few breaks here and there separated by maybe six months, but yeah. you had something. But since Cy Spurrier's run that ended in 2020, which was only what? 12 issues, roughly 12. Yeah, we've got nothing. And I, I don't think since 1988, David, we've ever had a two year gap where we as fans have not been given something when it comes to an ongoing John Constantine story. Well, the weird part, especially the last two years,
1: Constantine has been used in a lot of major storylines and story plots.
0: But when it comes to having his own title, not really. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, have we ever, I don't think we've ever had. I know for a fact, we've never had two years yeah, without
1: something ever. I mean, he's at least at the, the only con- consolation, I guess what I'm saying is like the only consolation that we have with Constantine is like, if there's a major DC storyline that's going on, he plays a role in it. Yeah.
0: And that's definitely the <laughs> silver lining.
1: That's the only silver lining. But yeah. when, when you're looking at like a, a ongoing title series, especially with size Spurrier's run,
0: Mm-hmm. I thought
1: that we'd be getting an ongoing series after issue 12. I'm like, okay, they just opened the world up for Constantine. Let's go. Two years later, we don't have a follow up no, to it
0: because DC's head is always firmly up their ass. Seems, it seems no, <laughs> it is. Come on, we know this to be true. <laughs> so that's why we started, David. Ultimately, why we decided to get into the ongoing help laser run from the past via the vertigo imprint, because at least it gives us something to fall back on. Yeah. If we don't have anything to t- talk about, or we go too long without talking about John Constantine, then we can always just revert right back to these original issues, which of course we've never covered thoroughly. and we, we've talked about them off and on throughout the run of our, what last two and a half years of doing this show. Oh yeah. So, all right. So we're going to be getting into issue two in this, uh, Let me backtrack. I lost my my train train of of thought thought here. But (laughs) yes, so in this episode, we're going to focus exclusively on issue two, which was originally published February 1988. I mean, that number, Dave, 1988. (laughs) It makes you feel so old. It does. It makes me feel really old. And also, it makes me think that this Hellblazer title is outdated, but it really, surprisingly, still holds up. It does. And, And not just the writing style, but the art the the message, the social commentary, all of this still holds up. And that's a rarity in comics. Not a lot of comic books from the eighties, Dave, from the early two thousand from New 52. I'm gonna bring yeah, it even closer to bring home. You closer. They just don't hold up they flimsy narratives, immature storylines. And yet here we have from 1988, a title that still has legs and, and still is relevant. That's
1: why I tell people is like the strength of when people ask me like, Oh, I want to get into comics. And what should I start reading? I automatically tell them you can go back to the eighties and read things like hellblazer. You can read Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. Doom Patrol, anything for the Vertigo line go read it because automatically all their stories are never outdated it's because back then especially in vertigo they tackled subjects that are like they 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 last the test of time because they deal with more subject matters that are more prevalent to the human nature yeah what it means to be human
0: the human condition yeah
1: and that's what makes a character like Constantine stick with their fans because we all relate to him.
0: That's yeah. And that's a fair assessment. If
1: you think about it, it's the reason why we look at super characters like Superman, Batman and wonder woman. And everyone, constantly says, Oh, those are the icons of DC. But if you think about it for us, Vertigo fans, we relate more to a character like John Constantine than we ever could to a character like Superman, Batman and wonder woman. Why? Because Constantine's more realistic. I identify with Wonder Woman. He, <laughs> I think all of us would like to identify with Wonder Woman at mm-hmm. one point, but that's the thing. We want to identify with those characters, right? But in real, in, in realistic, realistically, we, yeah. Realistically, we identify more with Constantine because he deals with what it means to be actually normal or human
0: he's a human character he's a a very human character and even though we delve into the world of magic and the occult and the larger than life aspects or i should say the larger than life backdrop the true
1: moral questions
0: is what our human questions
1: are human questions and that's what constantine deals with You know, everyone makes fun of the joke that, well, Batman's human. Yeah, but he's a billionaire who basically is dealing with the trauma of the death of his parents. Oh. Okay. Look at Constantine. So Constantine up. deals with that
0: every single storyline. He has to deal with people he's responsible for, killing, for and, killing and then finding a way to justify it.
1: And and, and <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. But like at the end of the day, he takes responsibility for it. Yeah. Like that's what I loved about the when they first established Constantine, you could almost say Constantine's not a hero. No. But he's a guy that basically realizes... He's out there trying to do good, though. He's trying to do good, yeah. and he does it even though it might cost something, and he's willing to carry that burden.
0: Okay, and that's a big talking point we're going to get into a little bit later. because I want Something we've never gone into, really, is John Constantine's ethics. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because there's definitely some... Uh, some ethical issues in this storyline, specifically dealing with Lester. Oh And my people God, who've dude. read these issues are very familiar with what happened. Yes. Um, and we've seen, and also I believe they had Lester and the storyline, well, a version of the storyline in the original 2013 Constantine TV show on NBC. They did. They as did. well.
1: So, I give yeah. them props for that too, because the story of Lester, who it, that, that is like one of those very, it's a sad one. It's a sad story, but the the moral question and the philosophical question that it poses mm-hmm. is something that you will never see a character like Superman make the choice that Constantine has to make. Yep. And that's the thing. Well, Superman see, can ways, make that's... It work because he's a superhero. He's a
0: cape. Yeah, but would he be able to make this work, Dave? Exactly. That's the question. Throw Superman into this scenario. He never could. And how would he fix this problem? Yeah how would he, he fix it couldn't there would be no way for him to fix it because he wants to save everyone he wants to save everyone and in a scenario like this there is no way to save everyone and that's the beautiful thing about the john constantine storylines when you write them correctly you give him a no, no way out you force him as a writer to make those hard decisions because then that adds to his character development and it adds to what's become from these very issues here become part of his genetic makeup which is the guilt, you know, the remorse he lives with. So, yeah, David, the ideological intent still holds up. The narrative style still holds up. Uh, the, the human element of these issues still holds up. And that's a rarity in any form, any form of media, not just comic books. So to see that these issues, these storylines, look, we just went into about five minutes on ethics and we haven't even gotten to the real topic yet. Exactly. And th- all from one issue, Dave, from 1988. Mm -hmm. So, all right, David. So officially, uh, let's get started. This issue here, issue number two, released in 1988, it does conclude the first official Hellblazer storyline. Yes. In it, John tackles the hunger spirit alongside Papa Midnight, and in doing so is forced to contend and face his inner demons. Now, Delano is really doing some expert level writing here. Because in just two issues, roughly, what, 60 to 65 pages, he managed to really build out a foundation that not only formally establishes John Constantine as a viable character, meaning his characterization and internal conflict. A person riddled with guilt, haunted by the demons of his past, and delves into various avenues of remorse all in two issues. We get a more than just a snapshot. There are issues that come out today in comic books that can't do the amount of story and character development that Delano did in two issues. And they, they can't do it in 10 issues. Exactly. They're unable to do it. And I understand that's also possibly the, the, the intent of their writing You know, many comic books are very plot driven because it's written for a specific mindset. There isn't a lot of room for that slow, methodical character development at times. But that's the beautiful thing about this character. It's designed to be that type of story. So you can get into these these little elements that really make up a character. And the best part about this is it's not... It's not John Constantine himself saying, oh, darn me, I'm going to be riddled with guilt now, like some writers do with John Constantine, where they have him vocalize his guilt and vocalize his remorse, which takes away from the impact, in my opinion. It's just, it's silly when you're trying to write a story to verbalize what someone's going through when the subtext and the narrative techniques can do the job for you. And that's exactly what... Delano does in these, in these opening two issues here.
1: Well, the, the amazing thing, what Jamie Delano was able to do was you have to remember Constantine was created to be a callback to that pulpy detective film noir film noir. Right. And he was established very well in, his, in by Alan Moore and everyone in swamp thing. That was the bare bones of his creation was he is a detective that basically deals with the supernatural And everywhere he goes, the tragedy follows. Jamie Delano was able to actually add to that, take those elements and just add depth to it. Show us that, you know, Constantine is a bastard, but he's a bastard with a heart. He, He understands that he has to do this and he feels remorse for the stuff that he is forced to choose. And just like we said, he doesn't... Constantine doesn't go around and start talking speeches. We see his guilt through his actions, whether it's, you know, like, especially in this one where he drinks himself into unconsciousness. That is insane. Yeah. Because he, he cannot live with the choice he just made. And he, to the point where he just basically says, I'm going to knock myself out. We're going to get through the day.
0: Self-medicate,
1: self-medicate. Right. And just, Try to bury his head in the sand as best as he can till what happens ends, and then he can move on. Yeah, and and then like that is such a it gave such a depth to the character than more than just I'm a brilliant detective and I'm going to solve the mystery.
0: Yeah, and there's more than. There's more to it than just simply the brooding aspects as well, because you also understand his worldview, his personal ideology, yeah. which I would say encompasses um, a variety of things that stem from a type of jaded cynicism. Absolutely. You know, all of which says a lot about his aspirations, morality. Uh, there is a morality, by the way. He's not amoral like some readers and writers believe. And let me just throw the new 52 in there because that was one of my biggest problems with Constantine's very first comic book run for the new 52. When he was brought into the main DC continuity, it was the fact that they almost made him like he enjoyed the bad things that he did. Yeah. If you remember, we reviewed volume one of the new 52, John Constantine. And that was one of our biggest problems. It felt like the writer was insinuating that he didn't have guilt or remorse and that he just shrugged and said, fuck it. This is what I do because this is who I am. He
1: gave up. And, and Constantine's a type of character that absolutely giving up is never, is never a, a option. Yeah. Constantine will do whatever it takes to at least win the day, just win the day and get through it. And no matter what the cost, but he embraces that guilt. That's why one of my favorite scenes in this, in this thing is the bedroom scene with the ghosts, where he talks about guilt. That is an amazing piece of how you write a
0: character. That's how you do it.
1: That deals with guilt.
0: Because I also like the idea that they leave it up to interpretation. Yes. Was it really ghosts? Was it really ghosts? Or was it just him? His brain. Yeah. Was it actually him just manifesting? Remembering all the lives that he feels responsible for because of what he's about to do to Lester.
1: And that's the thing about that. I really liked what Delano did with the concept of magic in the DC universe when it came to Hellblazer. It's not there's always that ambiguity. Is it real or is it not? Is what's happening really happening or is it a manifestation of something else? Especially when you're dealing like with the, the spirits that we have to deal with in the first two issues, the spirit of gluttony. Is it really a God or is it something else? They don't really come out and say, this is the God of Shakari? yeah the god of shakari <laughs>
0: <laughs> no wasn't it I know no, no, I was gonna, yeah
1: exactly <laughs> but like they don't come out and say that they leave it very ambiguous that makes the magic feel very supernatural you know it doesn't it, it, it's not something like superman or batman where we can actually look at it and say okay he's flying because he's a superhero and we could see that but like it, w- when it comes to magic in Hellblazer, they show it that if you try to actually give this problem to the capes, meaning Superman, his powers aren't going to do Jack against this because what does, what is super strength going to do against a God that literally apparently can take over your body at a whim? Right. <laughs> exactly. That, that's going to do nothing. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's what I liked about like Hellblazer too when I was first reading it because during that time in the eighties everything was hokey and you know everything was treated superficially like powers were just treated oh he could ju- he can he can fly you know leap tall buildings at a single bound cool and that's what comics are based on the the outlandish but when Hellblazer and Vertigo came out then they started establishing hey, there's more to actually having superpowers. And then that's where magic comes in, in DC. And that's why one of the greatest mysteries in DC Comics is how do you take what Vertigo established with their magic realm and mash it together with their main continuity? And they tried to do it in the New 52. And we saw, everyone, you can look at the history of it and see that basically that did not work well. It it didn't.
0: Because it, For a lot of reasons, it didn't work very well.
1: Because it loses the, when you do that, the magic element kind of loses its luster. Yeah. It's like, why do you ruin the mystery of it? Yeah. Mystery is the magic. How does it work? We don't, and that's the thing. I, when you compare these first two issues to say like New 52, do you realize they never really explained how Constantine's doing the magic or how Papa Midnight's doing the magic? They just show it.
0: It just is. It just is. Yeah.
1: But if you look at like writers, especially nowadays, New 52, I don't think Spurrier did a really good job because I thought he did like a really cool throwback to that type of storytelling where you don't explain the magic. You just let the magic be. It just happens. You don't have to explain it. John doesn't have to pull out a freaking wand.
0: Well, that's the the contrast there between New 52 and the vertical run here, especially with these first two issues specifically. It feels um there's a flimsiness to the new fifty two There's not a lot of reasons behind what the why it's just it is it is whereas with just these opening two issues, you can immediately see that it's true it's truly written like a literary piece there mm-hmm. there are reasons behind the why everything that happens there's a justification for it narratively speaking. And just to bring it back to the morality aspect for a moment here, that's something specifically that we got to see in this issue that the regular continuity John Constantine titles never really got right. As I was saying, you had this idea many times that he was just a bad guy. If you didn't know Vertigo John Constantine and you were just reading Constantine from the New 52 and onward, you would think this guy's a real piece of shit and a bad guy. Like, why do people read this guy's stories? Why do we? Why do we care? Why do we care about him? But we see here that he does have a type of morality it's not he's not amoral like what a lot of people say, even blogs, when they're t- reviewing Constantine storylines, they'll say, oh, he's a moral or he has a skewed moral compass. I don't even think he has a skewed moral compass. There is a morality there. He has a reason for everything, though. There are moments of selfishness throughout the lifetime of his stories Mostly I'd say he does things for some justified greater good. Yeah. The morality and or ethics of John Constantine does shift from time to time since 1988. But I'd say for the most part, he's written as a person that subscribes to a type of uh, consequentialism, Mm -hmm. which just to give a little bit of a context to what that is, that's a type of ethics that tells us that what makes actions right or wrong are the consequences of, the, of action, the actions and not any feature of the action itself. Basically we should take the action that maximizes the good consequences. Mm-hmm. And looking at just these first two issues, I'd say that Constantine's behavior is proof. That. He does, in fact, lean into a type of ethics that would be called consequentialism. Oh, yeah. You know, for example, Constantine knew that Lester would not make it out alive. But the only way to defeat Minamoth is how you say his name. Minamoth. Minamoth was to use him as bait because in doing so, they'd stop the rampant, demonic, greed induced killings that was taking over the city. Yeah. He chose to sacrifice Lester in order to maximize The greatest goodness. Yeah. Another good comparison, just to exemplify my point here, is the decision that the United States made during World War II to drop the nuke on Japan. Yes. That's an atrocity. But there's a form of consequentialism there. If the consequences means that it's going to end the war and we're going to save millions and millions of lives, then the people who died and the potential fallout is justified. And that's that's pretty much where John Constantine resides when it comes to his morality. There is no skewed moral compass. It's a type of morality. It's consequentialism, maybe even utilitarianism, which is also a form of consequentialism.
1: I think the, also the way that it could be understandable for a lot of people out there, if you want to actually think of it just outside of that and try to understand that, is one of the simplest and easiest philosophical statements. I've, I've ever read the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. There you go. That is consequentialism.
0: Yeah, because absolutely. Like,
1: you uh, are, you are, you are doing this because the majority of good outweighs
0: the bad. Yeah. The, 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 you, you value your value. Judgments are made on the consequence. Yes. Now, John Constantine decided to sacrifice Lester and, the demon wasn't defeated. Now suddenly you're like, Oh fuck, <laughs> I did the wrong thing.
1: And and that's the thing. That's, that's how I always saw in new 52, how they write John is like, well, he makes the choices, but all the choices that he always makes are bad.
0: It's And they're all extremely selfish
1: and extremely selfish. And that's not how it goes. Yeah. You know, like,
0: I've, not I've not to say that Constantine isn't selfish because there definitely are storylines oh yeah. that exemplify his selfishness but when it comes to the larger decisions that he makes he's usually guided by consequentialism. Consequentialism but like he's
1: not a selfish character per se. No. And I always, I always felt and people might disagree with me, the best outside of Hellblazer after, after this the best way they, that Constantine was ever captured character wise, just the basis of his character was how they wrote Constantine in the animated movies. Yeah. His entire storyline is about like making those tough decisions and living with the consequences and basically the consequences coming to haunt him. That is basically that's consequentialism in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Like he makes those tough decisions. He knows that basically this is going to win us out in the day. Yeah. And I'm willing to pay the cost.
0: Yeah. And that's why, you know, we, we understand this because in issue two, that's why we know what he's about to do to Lester is not an easy task for him. No, someone that's a wouldn't be struggling with the decision he made. That's why Delano used issue two to really exemplify John's struggle and highlighted his guilt In the form of ghosts, which is what you brought up. Yes. Uh, The image of former friends and acquaintances that had, you know, I I suppose they faced a similar end. Because of his decision. Because of decisions Constantine had made. I mean, he was struggling with this decision. It was obvious. And it's quite good how it's done. Delano doesn't just do what so many subpar writers do and have the character himself tell us how he feels. Yes, there's narration in the vein of the film noir where we can gain a general understanding of his thought process, but that's a thought process. Delano uses the narrative itself to focus those thoughts. The narration is simply the jumping off point. So they're not cheating when they could, they very well could have cheated with the narration. That's the beautiful thing about film noir. You can get a lot of, you know, characterization, characterization built up because Of the nature of the film noir narration, the voiceover, but not even Delano used that to cheat. There were moments that he definitely used it and he could have, but no, he used it just simply as a jumping off point to help focus the narrative. So he can then show us, not tell us what John is going through.
1: And you know, a perfect example of that is like, I wrote down here, one of my, probably the favorite line in issue two that I have is when Constantine after everything's done with Lester, he wakes up and then midnight looks at him and says, for a man of power, you leave yourself very vulnerable. And Constantine basically says, uh, he he says a bit of dialogue, but then he ends it with anyway, funerals are easier if there's a wake. That is creative use of dialogue. Yes. Because it's not like a narrative in, in a, in a, uh, in a film noir where i fell asleep and i woke up the next day and stuff like that instead delano decided no i'm going to add characterism to john to get my story across like increase that cynicism in his voice when he's like going
0: yeah this was terrible but he uses delano uses the various elements to to flesh out who john constantine is, is as a character from so top much, to so bottom. much
1: better than just using using plain narrative.
0: Yeah, because slog. certainly you have the dialogue, right? You have the narration that you could point to and say also strengthened, but he didn't just rely on that. As I was saying, he also re- he relied on the, the, the gamut of narrative style because even uh, those elements, there are other elements like the secondary characters that also help build out this visual a- aesthetic Aesthetic that really sells Constantine's struggle and morality as well. Papa Midnight was used perfectly to also bring to the surface how John John Constantine is feeling about his decision. You know, Papa Midnight was a bit uh, prodding, poking him in the ribs a bit with comments about what he's doing, you know, and... Because that was just yet another strategy to help the audience fully understand who this character is.
1: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the way they use midnight, I thought was genius is because like midnight represents that all encompassing power that is above John that judges him. And it's very like midnight's dialogue is very much like as if John was having a talk with God himself. where. Midnight is like telling him, "Hey, you got to do this." Sucks to be you, but
0: you know he's antagonistic. He's that, that was antagon- what I was looking for. Yeah, but
1: it's not in any evil
0: way. No, it's almost like this real, harsh reality. Well, what did what did Papa Midnight say? His justification was simple. He's all, "This is for humanity." I believe yes. is what he said.
1: This is for humanity, and or even the one one thing that he says to John is, uh, "Grief." I think it's grief is a. Let me see if I find it real quick. Oh, grief, Constantine is a luxury. Yeah. He's that harsh reality that basically, this is what we do. This This is is the world we live in. Get used to it. Get used to it. And it's like you, when, when that happens, it's kind of like, that's, that's one of the reasons why superheroes cannot never have never fit well in the vertigo landscape because they have to take, Account of their actions and consequences. Like, if you were to throw Superman in this type of storyline, I know for a fact that m- pretty much ninety percent of all writers would just have Superman miraculously take Min Moth and basically the will of Superman would overpower Minmoth. The
0: will right? of Superman, but it's true. You're so right, it's
1: <laughs> true though. The will of Superman would would banish Moth and that's how you end the thing because superman is this
0: What about dad superman from superman 3? <laughs> he would definitely do the, would. what needs to be done. He'd do what's done. And then he would try to hit on Lana instead of save people from a fire.
1: <laughs> what he's just say there and basically say like, there's a fire going <laughs> let's on. let's relax oh, yeah. a little. Yeah, let's relax a little. <laughs> oh god, that was horrible. <laughs> but
0: yeah, but
1: that's what that's the reason why characters like what a lot of the Vertigo fans call capes. That's why they can't mix in this world. Yeah. And to this day, I'm still waiting for someone, a writer, to pull it off where they can actually go, I could take the Vertigo type of storytelling and put it to the capes and make it work.
0: Well, even Justice League Dark, the, the newer run they find ways to skirt around it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's all that creative. It's simply, Hey, wonder woman's in charge now. And this is what you guys do. So they don't, they, they found a way to just remove the, uh, many of the capes from the situation by bringing about in in an official capacity, the justice league dark. But I liked how justice league dark started the, the first volume. How oh, that absolutely. started, how it was, it showed you why you need Justice League Dark. Not, hey, let's just skirt the heroes and just establish a magical group. And the very first volume, I believe the first volume was actually written by Delano. That's why the first volume was pretty fucking good. Yes. I could be wrong. I think that it's mean, Delano. It was one of the gentlemen writing Hellblazer at the time. Or Hellblazer in the past just take a moment
1: just take a moment because i
0: think you're right yeah i, I think cuz we covered it yeah we're real prepared here <laughs> it's all right maybe not it's peter milligan i knew it was i knew it was one of the hellblaze hellblazer writers peter milligan is the one
1: yes yeah, it was Peter Milligan and yeah. then Michael and, uh, and Janet.
0: he had written on the Hellblazer vertigo imprint as well. But that's the reason why the the first volume of Justice League Dark back in two thousand eleven was pretty fucking solid because there was a Hellblazer writer writing it.
1: Yeah, you had someone who had those vertigo ties to And
0: it. what did he do? The the opening four pages was about removing the superhero, superhero element. element. He removed them because Enchantress was way too powerful and ensnared Batman. Superman and I believe Wonder Woman yeah. and that's why the, the world of magic had to come and fill the void it just made more sense now with the new era of Justice League Dark it's just simply hey you guys are the official uh, group and that just <laughs>
1: removes us from it yeah and then basically we'll throw in these characters in here just because yeah <laughs> just because.
0: so one thing is certain Delano laid out a lot of ingredients as well even things that didn't necessarily play Pay off in these first two issues. He set up the world of Hellblazer in such a way that it could almost go in any direction. He said the moving table. forward. I mean, like, the cosmology is there. There's also a bit of um, it, it, there's allusions to the fact that Constantine's world is a deterministic world. Uh, there are mentions of fate. I want to say several fate. times things that you can't change. Uh, there's also an existential flair because of John Constantine's nature in itself.
1: Oh yeah. Especially when you get to the idea of why Lester was chosen. It's a very fate type of destiny storyline where in any other like superhero story, you would find the hero actually overcoming fate. But in, in, in the vertical world, fate is something you cannot overcome. You are predestined for this. So, that's why when you get to really take a step back and see you feel bad for Lester. Don't get me wrong. I felt bad for him. But when you take a step back and you realize that well, listen, there's his more own choice, his own
0: greed yes. is what got him into his trouble. Addiction, Yeah.
1: His uh, addiction was like, he was tailor made to be the person that had that supposed to,
0: It was, he was a loser his whole life. I believe is what Constantine said. And that this was his, perhaps this was his fate. I want to say is what he said. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This was his, because this was what he was meant to do. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I really, when I first read it, I said, man, this was, this is a really cool, super dark, uh, story uh, storytelling. But when you actually, years later, I always go back to the Hellblazer and I realize just how much philo- philosophy and mm-hmm. morality storytelling is told in these stories that you don't see nowadays because people don't want to actually see a story where the hero has to make that tough decision.
0: Some of the best stories are the ones when writers utilize notions of the philosophical. I mean, look at the current Swamp Thing title from Ram V. Yep.
1: But if you think about it too, now look at that in, in in retrospect, because me and you have talked about this before. There are people, there are comic book readers out there that feel Ram V, his type of storytelling goes over their head.
0: He's a little abstract. I will, I I love it. And I don't think think it's abstract in a bad way, but I understand the argument to a degree from people who don't want to read the abstract. They want to read a straightforward comic book. book. There are a lot of people that just want to do that. Uh It's not my thing, but I feel like Ram V has a very specific type of audience.
1: Oh yeah, because Ram V... Ranvi's type of writing is what makes comic books not just a comic book but a literary device.
0: There you go. Yep.
1: And if you want a comic book, sure, it's okay. You can read all the capes, all the, you know, I do. fashion pompous I, I read, and circumstances. I read Superman. Fine. Yeah. But like I don't when read it, Batman. Though. when it comes to <laughs> it makes you angry. <laughs> but <laughs> but when it comes to like that type of storytelling when we go Hey, this is a type of storytelling that you go back and you study it mm-hmm. and it's, it goes into basically making comic books, legitimate pieces of literary work. Yeah. That is what we're, we're looking
0: at when we're seeing like Jamie
1: Delano's run.
0: Absolutely. Because there's even more, you, you 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 hit it right on the head because there's even more to this comic, but than just simply the obvious, because outside of character development and cosmology issue two continues to explore the insatiable hunger of M- Min moth, which serves as a metaphor that explores sociological and political concerns of the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1988, there was a lot of anxieties and the Reagan administration, I, I should say, pertaining to the Reagan administration and what was going on. And by default, the United Kingdom, because as we know we're, we're pretty much dual world powers. Uh-huh. Anything that happens in the United States pretty much is also going on in the United Kingdom. And they spent a lot of the decade revitalizing, revitalizing the idea of traditional values. That's what the yeah. Reagan administration was about, as well as faith in global capitalism and democracy, that's what the 80s was all about. all about. Even the film market mirrored much of the traditional values that, Ray, that the Reagan administration was pushing. Yeah. We all know the concerns that capitalism breeds. And I feel like that's what Delano was trying to explore here with this greed demon. A lot yes. of which some would say serves as a way to settle anxieties you know, but also distract. That's, that's the horrible thing about capitalism, right? That consume, consume, yeah. and keep your mind off what's happening. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a cat. I consider myself a capitalist, so I'm not against capitalism. It's the reason why we don't live in huts right now It's the yeah. reason why. And the reason why we have the things we have, but there is an argument to be made that currently, as well as in the eighties, capitalism has run amok. Oh, especially in the eighties,
1: because if you think about it, just film wise, take it into concept of one of the the most acclaimed movies in the eighties, which was wall street. What is the most famous line in that one? Yeah.
0: Greed is good. Yep. Greed works. It was definitely a topic of concern.
1: It was a topic of concern, but there was an embracing of it
0: in the eighties because of the Reagan administration. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then when you get to Delano telling that story, taking that story of how greed can overcome anything. I mean, one of the most, one of the things that, that, when I went back and I studied the this these issues just for its literary purpose, seeing Delano actually use the fact that something as base as greed can overcome anything, even down to like in the very first issue, it overcome religion, yeah, because what was one of the victims? a priest that was devoted to God, and greed didn't care, greed still took over him, and then what happened? The priest ended up very gruesomely like eating wood until his stomach popped of the crucifix. Yeah. That, and it's like, it was Delano basically saying these base instincts of all of us that we have to watch out for, you know, like the quote unquote original sins, greed, lust, envy. They are stronger than anything in the world that you can possibly consume.
0: Yeah. And that's why you can learn a lot about a comic book or a book, or a movie, or a TV show, pretty much any form of media, when you understand the context of the time. Yeah, And all the things you're mentioning were definitely part of the anxieties of, of the 80s. Because yes, capitalism, there's an argument to be made. This isn't a political show. This is just a show dissecting the social commentary of the comic. So yeah. please don't get angry out there, people. But we all know that there are dangerous you know, of re- unrestrained capitalism. It can lead to cronyism. So there's a lot of interesting thoughts and ideas going on in this issue. And it's done through the lens of a demon. Yes. Which is, is cool. Cause this, this is proper social commentary. When you have problems with society, this is how you do it. You don't write shows like we get on the CW. Where they overtly state things. (laughs) Well, I don't like racism. Well, thank you (laughs) for that. That's quite the bold statement, idiot. Like And that's that's the thing about like that's
1: the difference between this type of storytelling and soapboxing.
0: Well, okay. So there's there's creators who wish to express an ideology through art, and then there is propagandists. Yes. And that's what we are getting a lot today. In today's media, we're getting propaganda. Uh, liberal propaganda which i'm i'm all about liberalism but liberal propaganda it just is weak
1: and it doesn't make good it doesn't make good storytelling no really be
0: smart about it be smart about it and if you think about it especially if you truly want to manipulate people let me give you some a sith teachings 101 here <laughs> you got to make them like what you have to say yes yeah no, you are 100%. That correct. sounds really evil. That's why I have a devious smile right now <laughs> because it sounds awful. You and me both. But that is true, but though. But it's the like, truth. I think people lost the fine art of winning people over. You yeah. have to. What's that saying? You get more with sugar. Oh, you get more with honey. There you go. Yeah. You get
1: more, 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 you get, the flies will be attracted more to honey than anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what Will and Grace did in, in the in the '90s. Remember? That's why Gay became so popular in the '90s because everyone loved that fucking show. Everyone loved the show. But now CW comes along and you get so fucking tired. Like, okay, we, we get it. We get it. Yeah, exactly. And that <laughs> that that is
1: how. And it's sad because I've I've said this in a ton of the shows that me and you have have done, where it's like. Writing today is a lost art because most writers are propagandists. Yeah. They don't focus on the story. No. Make me enjoy your story.
0: You I got something story. to say. It is important. I'm like, listen, no one's arguing the importance of your, of thoughts, your thoughts, but it, the way you're doing it is fucking weak sauce.
1: Yeah. Give me a good story because at the end of the day, you're still wanting to entertain us.
0: Th- that- People <laughs> forgot about that, Dave.
1: Yeah. What, can you repeat that again? Because at the end of the day, as a writer, you have to entertain your what? audience. That's how you make money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, no, people listen, will come no back. No one because, wants oh. to read
0: or watch a political manifesto. Okay. Yes. That's not fun. That's not entertaining. No one's going
1: to enjoy that. No one's going to buy your book if all you all you do is talk about politics and basically not make
0: the story compelling. Yeah. And that's why I love Hellblazer because it's one of the best long-running comic book series that delves in. I want to say during its 300 issue run, I mean, it nearly delved into all pretty much every major social issue. Oh yeah, at some point, point. and it did it.
1: And it did it. And it did it responsibly and maturely. Yeah, you know, and that's the biggest thing that I always, uh I take away from looking back at Vertigo's history, Hellblazer was the series that took topics that basically people are very scared about to talk about because they don't want to, they didn't want to overstep bounds and they didn't know, like back then a lot of people were like going, well, I don't want to talk about this because you know, I'm not too sure how to talk about it, but there were, but Along came writers like Delano and uh, Gaiman and all of definitely them from, Gaiman, Verti- yeah. from Vertigo who said, "We're
0: going to Alan talk Moore about this as well." Alan Moore, Frank Miller, to a degree, to
1: a degree, Frank Miller, He's a little light
0: and superficial at times, but he Toward didn't the have end. his moments. Yeah, <laughs> Toward the end. well, definitely now.
1: But like when you <laughs> he's weak now. But when you when you look at it now, they they were brave enough to actually say, "Okay, we're going to write this." We're going to give our spin on it, but we're not going to actually do like what a propagandist do and, you know, finger point at you and say, this is how you need to think. No, you pose the philosophical question in your story so that your audience has the choice to think.
0: Yeah, I think the goal, I think the goal to proper writing, properly writing these types of stories is, is to view it as social commentary and not as politicizing an idea. Oh, yeah. Because once you politicize something, it's no longer social commentary becomes politics. Especially. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And there is a difference between sociopolitical and politicizing. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't get that. And I know we're getting way off topic, so we should probably bring it back to this discussion. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. David, the art is flawless. There's so many film noir aspects with the art. We yeah. talked a lot about it during our last discussion, so I'll keep it brief. The imitation of negative fill uh, with various different color grades, uh, the color schemes devised to, you know, supplant the traditional black and white that you get in film noir. So they use moments of of, of bright greens and reds. Uh, there's specifically a, a moment, I want to say midway through issue two, where Constantine's running and you you get this, this silhouette of green and red, I want to say, if my memory serves me correct. So, David, final thoughts? I forgot how much of this was used in the Constantine TV series as well. Even parts of the Keanu Reeves film, I believe I had said that during our first discussion, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... It blows me away. how The TV series actually was a pretty fucking great adaptation. It did a lot of things from the early runs of the comics. Oh, yeah. So my score for this is a solid 99%. I want to give it 100 because it's that good. But I'm going to be fair here and make sure my fanboyness is not interfering. So 99%. I'm going to give it a hundred,
1: says David. Well, I'm glad you actually, (laughs) you told my score because it is, for me, it's a hundred. Yeah. Because this is, this is required for me, Hellblazer, the first 12 issues of Hellblazer, a 300 issue run is for me, if I was teaching comics in school is required
0: reading teaching lit anything Anything. not just comic books but like yeah i agree this
1: this to me is like required reading for anyone who wants to get into comics and wants to up their game when it comes to actually taking a look at comics more than just it's meant for kids
0: yeah don't just read it it's called a close reading like analyze
1: analyze it and like when you take a look at this is how you tell do storytelling yeah and it's more than just basically making your character OP. Your, right. your main. Or nowadays, a lot of people say, like, Mary Sue's, or I think it's called a Kevin or something, where the, the, the characters are just great and cannot be stopped. Yeah. That leads to lazy storytelling. Batman. <laughs>
0: Pretty much. I'm but, so smart. I'm the world's greatest detective and I could do anything. But when you except get, save the city, I've been trying to save for fifty years. For 50
1: years. <laughs> That's not a, you. You can do an entire discussion about I the feelings of Batman. And
0: listen, people out there, people of Earth, I do not hate Batman. I always have to say this because there's a lot of we have faced some Batman. Um, yeah we actually might before. have some
1: we might we, we might get some hosts jumping out of nowhere and wanting to kill us
0: I love Batman I think he's a great character but I feel like there's a lot of writers who now are writing titles that just are not needed and they're not even that great
1: they don't they don't, uh, there's,
0: they don't too much, the there's too much forward. Batman right now there's just too much yeah there is
1: and and it, he's solely he's Mickey Mouse that's it He's Mickey Mouse of D- Disney. You see, he, you see, he has
0: become the um, the mascot of DC. Mascot. In, in fact, there's moments where I, I feel like they should probably just rename the DC Comics to, Batman. The, <laughs> to just Batman. <laughs> <laughs> to just Batman. All right, let's close out our show. I want to thank everyone for sticking with us and listening. We do have a Patreon exclusive show. It's called the Oblivion Bar, and it's a miniature version of this show. It's a little more casual. We typically get into topics and discussions that we don't have time for on our regular show. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge just a dollar. And that will give you access to the Oblivion Bar discussions. Thank you, David. Thank you. Cheers, wankers. See you never.